and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. I'm your host, Catherine King, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. In this series, we'll be speaking to senior data analytics leaders to share their experiences, challenges, and insights. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Business of Data podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all about data strategy and alignment. Specifically, how does the industry align data strategies with the C-suite ambitions? What has the industry been doing to extract value from data, driving a data monetization agenda? And then we'll finish off by having a chat about the broader data quality and data silo challenges that play a big part within data strategy. And today, joining me is my wonderful guest, Russell Barker who is the global head of macro data strats from Morgan Stanley. Hi there, Russell. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me today. No worries at all. So just to give our audience a little bit of context, if they perhaps aren't as, uh, aren't as familiar with you, Russell. Now, Russell joined the Morgan Stanley family in a modeling role in 2016 before becoming its global head of macro data strategies in 2019. He's responsible for the fixed income divisions between data strategy and data analytics and machine learning projects for the trading and sales teams. And when Russell is not in the office working or rather remote working right now, he is uh, and working on the biggest data challenges, you'll find him in the stables as he's a keen equestrian. His hobbies include show jumping and polo. How wonderful. Hi, Russell. Awesome to have you on. So on that point, as a bod pod tradition, we always like to ask a nosy question first. And when I say we, I mean me. Have you managed to get back playing polo uh, yet? Have you uh, managed to resume games because of obviously all of COVID-19? Did it put stop to play? It put stop to play for a long time during the summer, um, but actually we started back our first tournaments in August this year, which was like, it was fantastic to get back out there and back in the saddle. It's been very peculiar because obviously polo is a full contact sport normally. Yeah. Um, with a lot of contact between the horses. So they had to change the rules radically in order to completely minimize any contact. Um, so it took a while to get used to the new rules. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously there are no spectators. So the clubs banned all spectators. So we're kind of playing in this massive field with nobody <laughs> around. So it feels a bit weird, but yeah, it's just great to be back out there. Um, it's always great to be on horseback. It's like, it's a real tonic from everything in, in the city life. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, you've uh, nicely led me on to our, our first question in this episode there, Russell, because I mean, just as you have had to adapt in the in the polo field with with uh, scenes changing, you yourself uh, had to adapt because you you joined Morgan Stanley to focus on uh, modeling. And for the last 18 months, you've been very much focused on data strategy. So what saw you uh, move from the first role? Uh, that's exactly right, Catherine. I joined Morgan Stanley about four years ago to run their macro modeling team, which is kind of a traditional, what we call traditional quant role, doing stochastic calculus to build pricing models and risk management models. Um, however, over the last number of years, it's kind of become increasingly apparent that data analytics and the advances in machine learning techniques have really revolutionized the way banks do business. Um, and our senior management for very top level have kind of recognized that and have been really pushing that front. So as part of that, they asked me to build an entirely new team, which is focusing on the data analytics across the whole of the FID business. Um, 
So yeah, so I started that about four years ago and I've been doing that ever since. And I guess our, our focus is kind of two-pronged. One is on an overall data strategy for the business. So focusing things like data discovery, mm -hmm. uh, better metadata use, data accessibility, a lot of data governance, control, data quality, that side of things. But also on individual businesses and getting them to use data in a better way. So doing individual analytics and machine learning projects for individual trades trading and sales desks um, in order to show them the power of data and build that sort of bottom-up consensus as well. Mm -hmm. So setting that up then, were those the kind of biggest challenges that you identified and that's what you wanted to work on or were those just topic areas that you knew uh, kind of needed to be to be worked on to be successful? I mean I guess by far the biggest challenge was just the complexity of the entire thing like the fixed income to business business is a huge diverse business ranging across interest rates, FX, inflation, credit, commodities, all of that. And each of those individual businesses has sales desks, trading desks, the structuring, the risk management, the management side, um, all of which are very different data needs and data uses. And so trying to build a holistic platform across all of those that can be useful to everybody, that was quite a challenge. And that I think was the biggest and most daunting thing when you look at the problem. Mm. Absolutely. So um, I, I know you said that you, you were very much had um, executive buy-in to, to start this journey to begin with. Um, and, and looking at that, that idea that you were saying about improving data and improving its uses, that's such a broad topic. Um, and, and it's something certainly that the industry has been pushing recently. So where do you see the need to prioritize and focus when you think about kind of improving data? Yeah, as you say, we had like a huge amount of buy-in from senior management. So that was one of the things that made a task of this scale achievable. But in terms of prioritization, I, for me, it's all about letting the business needs drive the strategy. So talking to individual businesses, working with them, finding out how they use data now, what they can be seen to be done better, and really letting that build our overarching strategy to get, because unless you have the buy-in from the people on the trading floor, Mm -hmm. All top-down approach isn't going to help because you actually need to be heart and soul on this one. Yeah. And show people that this is really valuable to them. It's not just a push from the top. Fantastic. Now, when we talk a lot about executive buy-in here on the Bob Pod, and it's something we see across all our formats, it's definitely a, a really hot topic. Now, was it a case that you presented and, and the team presented case studies and user cases to, to the executive team and then the buy-in came from that? Or were they always quite data-driven and that mindset was, was something that, that you kind of capitalized on for, for the start of this project? What I'd say is they were very data-driven and they knew that in abstract, data was a very important thing. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of information there in the press about what people are doing with data, how they're monetizing it. Yeah. Um, so from a senior level, people kind of knew that this was important, but I would say the detail of, you know, it's a big step from making it, in theory, data is important to, this mm. is how in our business, we monetize this data, we get the business to the next stage. So there was a lot of strategic thinking went into that. Um, that was a lot of talking to the senior executives about what their their goals and ambitions were, but also thinking on the shop floor, what are people really doing? Um, and how can we link those two together? Yeah. Well, on that on that point then, Russell, you say about people on the on the floor and you know the, the wider business buy-in is is just as important as executive buy-in. What approaches do you think works best when it when it comes to getting your colleagues to buy buy into this? What would be kind of your top tips, I suppose? 
I, mean, I guess what we did is like the very first thing we did was talk to a lot of people. So all across the different asset classes, across sales, trading, COO mm -hmm. function, risk management, I probably talked to over a hundred people asking what their current data usage was, what they currently liked, what their current pain points were, and what they thought, you know, could be the big wins if we did some, some new stuff. Um, and there is very much about looking for common threads. Right. So I'd say there, I mean, everybody had a different, different aspects and different stories, but four common threads really came out. One was data discovery. Mm -hmm. So how I know what data is where, how I can see, is this the right data for me to do this? Uh, one was data accessibility. So once you know it, how do I get it and use it? Um, and part of that is data analytics and data tooling. Um, then the third was kind of data quality. There were a lot of questions of, okay, even if I get the data, do I know it's good enough? How can I be certain that, you know, if I make prices of this, if I make do some analysis, the results are, will hold true. And then the final aspect was data governance, which is obviously a big one and something that the, the top of the house care a lot about. Um, so yeah, it was kind of pulling those four threads together to build a strategy and then feeding it back to the same people saying, you know, you told us this, this is what we're doing about it. And that mm -hmm. kind of then they felt ownership of this is driven by me, not just imposed on me. Yeah, so they, they already had kind of their, their, uh, their own, um, trying to think of the words I've come for a loss of, they've, they've, they've got chips in the game is, is, is the weird phrase I'm trying to piece together. Exactly, yeah. skin in the game is I think. Skin the, in the game, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. so they, they feel like you say part of that journey. Yeah. Now something that um, I, I've observed across um, the, the business of data platform and just people engaging in our content is that many people are actually struggling with these um, challenges right now. In some ways you are in a fantastic position because you've done this before all of the all of the chaos that COVID and the pandemic and the recession and everything else has brought to it. So that the fact that your teams know where their data is, how to access it, and it's kind of put you ahead of others. Are you able to offer any advice to people who perhaps didn't have that foresight and weren't able to um, kind of plan ahead for, do you think this could be done during this sort of time? And if so, what would be your top tips for, uh, for achieving that sort of insight into what your colleagues are doing? I mean, I think this, I mean, this can and must be done during any time we are, we are where we are and better data will drive better decisions. Um, I guess the first thing is the first area of focus is on the quality of data itself and the accessibility. And if I look back over the last five to 10 years, there's been a huge amount of advances in terms of the techniques we use for data analysis, like a lot of work, especially companies like big companies like Google and in academia focusing on, we have some fantastic tooling now, some fantastic machine learning techniques, but all of that relies on a large quantity of good input data. And that's kind of where people have, I'd say, taken their eye off the ball a little bit. Like the really exciting thing is the latest technique, but actually simple techniques work really well if you give them good data. And I much prefer to use a simple technique on a good data set than a fancy technique on a bad data set. I'm sure everybody agrees, it's not a controversial thing to say, but I think, the, so the very first thing to do is look at these issues of what data do we have? What's the quality? How can we improve that? How can we, like, Often you find places have lots of diverse data sources that are all quite similar, but aren't brought together because you know, they've been built up over time by different groups or whatever. And bringing those together in one place so you can access the power of the full data set. Uh, that makes things much better. Then you can have a much larger data set to work with. 
If you have the controls in place, you can make it much cleaner. Um, so once you've got that sorted, then you can start doing interesting things and fancy things with it. But, you know, get the ingredients right before you start putting the cake together. Absolutely. And it's, it's something we've, we've definitely heard before. Laura Han, who joined me on a previous Bob Pod episode, said there's almost this in, in data analytics, there's almost a sexy scale. And you've got AI and ML right at the top and everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone wants to do it. And then you've got data quality, data governance at the other side. And actually, there's almost this growing movement that people are saying, well, yeah, we know this is really cool, but we can't do this until we go to the other end of the scale and make sure that is all aligned and correct because there's no, like, as you've just said there, there's no point doing fancy algorithms and, uh, and running different models if it's not based off of anything that's, that's uh, you know, really, really uh, substantive. So it's uh, really interesting to see this, this growing trend uh, amongst thought leaders like yourself. So on that point of realignment, um, and you've, you've, you've kind of drawn upon it there, how should the industry continue to educate colleagues about the capabilities of data as the business pro, uh, progresses through its data journey? As you've, as you've said there, times are changing, times change a lot. So how do you keep that uh, education program going? I think it's a matter of listening to the businesses themselves. Like what you'll find is users really understand what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so the bit they may not get is how they can do it with data and new techniques, but they understand what they want to achieve. Yeah. So by focusing on that and listening to them first, rather than like, coming in with a prepackaged thing and selling them, you know, I've got this neural net, it's great, it'll do anything for you. Mm. Listen to what they say, listen to the data they have available, get to understand the data itself, and then design your solution. Um, and constant communication. So one of the things we did, as I said, is we talked to a lot of people at the start. Then we cherry picked very specific business cases um, that allowed us to deliver something directly to the desks, but also allowed us to start building the infrastructure around it. Right. So we build out specific things, but focusing on you know, if we build these correctly, can we then extend them to a, a framework that will service everybody? Um, and that allowed us to deliver these things to the individual trading and sales desk that they saw immediate benefit from like immediately things that would tell them more about their clients' yeah. activities, how they can help their clients better, uh, more about risk management, how they can better see their risk and manage that. Mm -hmm. uh, but that sort of communication, that, that's key because the clients know, they'll know the stuff better than we do. So we have to work with them to understand their use cases. So what I'm what I'm getting from you here, then Russell, is that you've you've got kind of a two two way process. You've got the ears to the ground, constantly listening to you know the needs and wants to make sure that you're actually delivering on what people actually want, and then also communicating that back effectively. So not just because as we know in the world of customer experience, if you, it's all very well collecting feedback, but if you don't act upon it, it can be more harmful than never having collected it. So who is then, I'm, I'm interested to know, who is then accountable for listening and then acting in, in say Morgan Stanley or in the wider industry? Does that sit with a CDO? Does it sit with another title? Who do you think should be kind of responsible for making sure that listening and then acting work happens? I mean, in my business, that's my job is to be that layer between the actual business and as you say, like the senior executive C-suite level. Um, I don't think, it can sit that high because you need somebody who's on the floor who understands the business in a nitty gritty way. But it also needs to be somebody who can make the, like has that ability to make 
strategic level decisions and say, okay, this is the way we're going forward as a business. I think that's one of the things that I found great in my role and in Morgan Stanley mm. is that, you know, my bosses trust me to make those other decisions. And obviously I bring everything to them and check with them and they approve it. But, you know, they have faith in me and the businesses I work with know that I understand their businesses and that I will listen. Yeah. So I think it has to be somebody at that level who can both speak to businesses, but also understand the strategic uh, vision for the firm. Absolutely. So something I hear quite often is that you you almost need to be fluent in lots of different languages in order to be effective. So whether that's translating data into marketing terms or finance terms or, or other things. And I'm kind of imagining yourself as almost the Google Translate between the business <laughs> and the data of, um, you know, both listening to the business needs, like we say, and passing that on and then going back. What's the biggest challenge you've incur uh, incurred when you've been doing that type of translation work? I, the biggest challenge is just the breadth of it. Like data is, is huge. It touches everything. Um, it touches everything from the finance department, HR, risk. Mm -hmm. Everybody has data, everybody, and it all crosses over. And as you say, everybody speaks a different language. Everybody thinks about the world in a different way. Yeah. So the real key is to kind of understand your audience who you're speaking to try and work out what they understand so speaking to a sales guy is very different from speaking to a risk manager just because by the very nature of their jobs they see the world in a very different way so although they look at the exact same problem one will see it you know structurally one will see it as a communication problem that sort of thing um, so you have to kind of put things in terms that people understand so for example when i talk to a sales guy I'll talk to them about you know, how data can be used better to understand their clients, better to help their clients' needs to respond better to clients, because that's what they're focused on, right? They just really want to make clients happy. That's their job. Um, whereas the, the risk guys are all about you know, what for risk is the firm taking on? How do we see that? How do we put that in different ways? And so they can use data to get better profiles of the risk for the firm or the areas they care about. So once you start speaking to them in like the languages they understand, yeah. they very quickly understand it. You know, they're all really smart people, but there's no point speaking German to a very smart Spanish speaker. You have to speak to them in the language they get. Now, I, I, instantly I'm thinking now, it's all very well saying this, but doing it is another thing. And it's something that I've definitely heard from, from within the data analytics community is, you know, how do you become fluent in these different languages to the point of where you are speaking to the optimum level of value and you are communicating it effectively and, and everyone's kind of on the same page. Is it a case of, um, you know, as you've said before, kind of immersing yourself in these different departments and really listening to them and you kind of pick it up as to what, what you hear? Or is there another method that you've kind of employed to make sure that you, you kind of can speak these languages? I mean, yeah, nothing beats immersion. Nothing beats mm -hmm. like having a great, great network of people across the whole business asking for help. So, you know, if, I'm, if there's an area I'm struggling to communicate with, I'll go to a friend who works in that area and say, can I run this past you? Can I just like, you know, this is what I'm trying to explain to these people and go through it. And then he or she will say, no, no, <laughs> I don't get that at all. That's too technical or that's not technical enough. Yeah. Or it just doesn't mean anything to me. And then they explain a bit to me about how they think about things. And I just kind of listen and try and try and, and eventually iteratively you get better at it. Yeah. Like, nobody's yeah. going to be good from day one. And you just have to, you have to assess as well. You have to, like, when something goes badly, you have to stop and say, okay, I'm clearly not getting this through to you, am I? 
and most people will want to understand, so they'll try and help you. And then afterwards, you think a bit about, you know, why didn't that work? What wasn't they getting across? Yeah. You do have to be quite, there's a very high, I think people call it EQ, emotional quotient. Mm -hmm. um, you need to understand people to be able to explain things to them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, uh, I think that, that we've, we've then touched on a really interesting aspect, which is obviously COVID has disrupted your polo games. And I'm sure <laughs> it's disrupted many aspects of your working life as well. Um, so I kind of want to ask you um, a question based off of, you know, you're, you're finding yourself remote working at the moment, that kind of people relation work. Have, has that translated okay into a remote um, environment? Are you still able to have that kind of meaningful conversations where you can identify champions and run things past them to ensure that everything still runs smoothly? Yes, I am. But as you say, it takes a lot more work, right? So you have to actively do it much more. Like the tools we have, like Zoom, IM, various tools like that are good. But I think you have to be much more active. Whereas before, you know, we sat in a big trading floor. I'd walk across, I'd get coffee. I'd happen to run into somebody we'd have a conversation and they'd be like, oh, what are you doing now? And I'm like, oh, I'm working on this new data algorithm. It's for these guys. And they're like, oh, that sounds fantastic. We could do something similar. Yeah. That you have to actively push on people. So what I found a lot is that, you know, when you have a project that's successful and you deliver it to a specific desk, then you kind of try and show it to everybody. So you do demos to all related groups. Mm -hmm. And that gets people thinking about it. So often it won't be applicable to many of the groups, but often something vaguely similar will. And they start thinking, oh, that sounds really cool. I mean, it doesn't work for us, but if you could do this, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in the current COVID situation, that goes from being kind of the informal chatting to people, a lot of people and saying, oh, we're doing this, is that of any interest, to actually setting up more formal demos. Um, yeah. So yeah, you have, to, you have to think a bit more about it and be a bit more proactive. Mm, that's really, really interesting. So would you say there's been an impact with, with COVID and the demand for data that you're seeing? And actually, has that then impacted how kind of formal you need those interactions to be? Has, has people's hunger for data increased? So therefore, they're coming to you and saying, hey, what, what are you doing with other people? What's coming up next? Has that changed that uh, environment for you? I mean, very much. And in two very different aspects. One is the, like, the internal data about clients and stuff because people are working from home, they need also need to be more proactive with their clients and therefore they need more data about the, the clients. The other aspect is the changes we've seen in the market. I mean, during the COVID, it was a hugely stressed period. Market volatility was massively increased. Um, you know, scenarios we hadn't been in before active. So people wanted to run strategies through that, do a lot more testing. Mm -hmm. That requires good data, good uh, concurrent data, but also looking back historically, seeing you know, how can we see in the past what was similar when market volatility was high again? Um, doing a lot more stress testing that way. And that all requires a lot of good good data and the tools to use it. So yeah, we got a huge amount of interest through that. And I think, you know, it kind of helps spread the message that, I mean, yeah, it's bad to take away good things from a bad situation, but yeah, it's really helped spread the message. Yeah, well, I think I think you know, as you say, it, it feels it feels somewhat guilty to to bring away uh, positives from this situation. But actually, I think perhaps those taken for granted interactions that you would have had across the office, like you say, are actually you realise that a lot of uh, innovations and championship work that you that you do is actually oh, that's where that happened because it's removed yeah. that situation. But like you say, the the demand and also 
the, the fact you're able to prove fantastic value as well because it's so so wanted in this environment as well is is a positive thing so uh, i'm looking at the clock now and i know we need to to wrap up shortly but i'm keen to know um what your predictions are for um, the industry in the next 12 months are there any innovations or or new things coming up that you can can foresee maybe you know regardless of covid or provoked by i mean i guess it's going to be no surprise that i i'm going to predict that the use of data will be even more accelerated over the next 12 months um, I guess within that, what I really see happening is people, as we talked a bit about earlier, focusing on data quality itself, yeah. uh, the data governance side, but also looking at what we can do with like smaller, slightly messier data sets, mm-hmm. how we can do controls better, how we can turn bad data into good data, and how we can get the most out of not big data, but small data. Because mm-hmm. um, as we said, like a lot of the tools are set up for vast data sets but actually in in the real world a lot of what we have is smaller slightly messier data so trying to extract value from that i think will be a really big thing going forward yeah absolutely fantastic now my final question and i always like to end on the hardest question is (laughs) you could go back in, in back in time by say five years and give yourself one piece of advice whether that's personally professionally you decide what would it be? That's a really, that's a really tough question. That's a really good question. Like over the last five years, I've kind of learned so much, especially coming into data and discovering that, discovering the power of data, the universality of data, but also the non-academic side, the, the messy, gritty, you have to get to understand what's going on side of data. Um, in terms of going back, like I do kind of think that the learning of it was the, the key for me. So finding out the hard way actually drove the lessons home. Right. Um, so possibly I wouldn't tell myself anything in particular. I guess just the advice I give myself, which is advice I give to anybody, is just talk to more people, mm. um, get to understand users, business partners, um, because everybody has a valuable insight and everybody's insight is different. And that's what I found really key over the last 18 months is just allowing people to teach me their business. Absolutely. Fantastic. What a wonderful way to finish this episode, Russell. It's a pleasure as always. And thank you so much for joining me. Cool. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. What a fantastic conversation. I always enjoy catching up with Russell from Morgan Stanley there. For me, the key takeaways from that discussion are to keep your ears to the ground and to listen, listen, listen. And then once you have formulated your key takeaways from all the different departments to then communicate them back effectively and how you can then action upon them. As always, make sure you're subscribed to the Business of Data platform, as well as following us on socials to make sure you are first in line for our thought-leading content and insights. As always, in this very chaotic time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.